If you liked hearing Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson provide secrets on negotiating for total compensation, dealing with microaggressions, or simply being able to just be your authentic self, then welcome to season two of Secrets. Are you one of the only on your job? Do you wonder why the same type of people continue getting promotions? Have you dreamed of getting to the top but don't know how? Welcome to Secrets Season 2, a podcast devoted to showcasing dilemmas faced by underrepresented employees in their quest to climb the career ladder. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, have experienced the corporate grind for more than 20 years. Now they want to share their adventures, pitfalls, and C-suite secrets that they've learned along the way. So let's fill up those cups and get started. Here are your hosts. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Secrets. We're continuing our discussion on Women's History Month and bringing you some hot fire women to the table today. Hey, so, uh, Keith, I got to tell you, man, I'm still over here laughing, but kind of mad at the same time about the conversation that we recently had with our sister queen, Teresa Robinson. Yeah, oh boy, she was great. <laughs> man, it was like talking to our homegirl next door who just ain't afraid to tell you the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And even if that truth is painful, she's still going to tell you. Yep. <laughs> so now I'm mad, though, because the time flew by so damn fast. It did. It did. It was just like you're sitting sitting with a family member around the dinner table just having a good time, right? Yeah, and somebody was jingling the keys and you was pretending like you didn't hear them. Like yeah. they were saying they, it was ready to go. Absolutely. <laughs> but, <Edric. laughs> but but look, I think, uh, again, that discussion, man, was just amazing. I'm just excited for everybody else to hear this too. Absolutely. Teresa was no joke. Let's get that straight right out the point. And I think we were privileged to get that time with her. And for our Secrets listeners, we're continuing our tribute to Women's History Month by spotlighting our sister queen, who is putting in the work regarding justice, equity, and fairness in the workplace. And if you don't know who she is, get your popcorn ready. Teresa has renamed Women's History Month and is speaking out on the inequities that are holding underrepresented employees back. And that's why we needed to have her on the show. We absolutely did. We absolutely did. And so in today's episode, Ricky and I will speak about the importance of finding your voice as an underrepresented professional. And then Teresa will join us and speak about the passion behind her most recent book, Black Exhaustion Karens and Other Threats to Black Lives and Well-Being. We'll also bring you some extremely relevant receipts, and we'll close out with two secrets from Teresa on how folks can be better allies and how black women can release their voices to advocate for themselves. Man, this sounds like something crazy, man. I'm ready for it, right? But Keith, look, I can remember feeling trapped or almost like being stuck inside my own body where it seemed like no one could understand what I was trying to convey. Yeah. I mean... I'm thinking through like being in meetings and people are asking for suggestions or, you know, you have this idea and you're thinking about it. And I can just think through like being able to almost feel like like I was crazy, right? Because I'm I'm trying to explain something and you're seeing people look kind of puzzled, you know, or they may even look like you're getting aggressive, like the eyebrows go up like, whoa, whoa, you know, so it's like. I'm having this internal battle saying, do I have command of the English language correctly? Yeah, is there something wrong with me? What's going on? <laughs> do people understand what I'm trying to say? Or I'm feeling like, well, maybe I need to kind of tone it down a little bit. And then lo and behold, 
maybe 10 minutes later, and sometimes even disrespectfully, like right after you said, someone else says the, the same, same thing. thing. And people are like, oh, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Hey, Bob, that's great. We've you know? been there. And We've it's been like, there. And in my mind, I'm saying to myself, again, you keep asking yourself the crazy question, but you do start to kind of have maybe some doubts as to, do I need to say things differently? Yeah. Do I need to like maybe it's me? Yep. You know, or maybe I should just be quiet and say nothing. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> but you realize how much time we spend at work in that environment. It's hard to kind of turn that off. So that does have a bit of an impact on how you represent yourself, right? Absolutely. You know, or how you find your voice or mm-hmm. how you do those types of things. So it does have a bit of an impact. And you think about it, if you start this stuff at a very young or early age where teachers want you to not be so vocal, Ricky, yeah. you know. Tone it down. Exactly. But you realize what they're actually doing is kind of breaking apart brick by brick, Yep. you know, who you are to mm-hmm. some degree. Yeah, no doubt about it. Just like you, I mean, I struggled often, especially early in my career. You end up, you're you're the only person of color in the room. And a lot for me in particular, I moved up the ladder pretty fast. I I was pretty fortunate in that way. I was often the youngest in the room. So Mm -hmm. I would doubt myself and my capabilities and also just being gay. All this stuff is just playing in your brain. All at the same time. Why are they looking at me like that? Is it because I'm young? Is it Mm -hmm. because I'm black? You know, what is it? And so all of that stuff just kind of plays with you, messes with your head a little bit. And so early on, I didn't have a lot of confidence. And also there's just this fear of being dismissed or there's going to be some retribution if you said something wrong or did something the wrong way. And I think all of that changed for me when I actually had my first black boss. Man. Right? When I got my first black boss, it's actually been the only one I've had, but (laughs) I had my first black boss and she was great. And just in terms of providing that level of support Mm -hmm. and safety and comfort and everything else where I felt like I could actually speak (laughs) and be heard. Mm -hmm. right? And then it, it transformed from there when I went into my chief of staff role. And when you got the CEO having your back, when you yeah. sat me down and said, hey, I see you. I got your back. Do your thing. <laughs> I need nothing else. I was good. Yeah. I mean, I, but I, I think through, Keith, I mean, you had an opportunity, a brilliant opportunity to be able to just be you, mm-hmm. right? And you didn't have to spend so much time figuring out how to get out the box. Right. You know, you could just start trying to be you and start trying to release your voice. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, that's right. Important. And it's so empowering when you can do that. I can... Only speak for myself, but I cannot express to you enough the pressure or the burden that was released from my shoulders when I finally felt like I was able to say what I actually wanted to say, like what was on my mind without blurring the message to make uh, someone else feel comfortable about what I was saying. (laughs) Right. Or I was able to use like that intentionality to describe my own point of view with business suggestions or mm-hmm, ideas, mm-hmm. I could say, no, 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 that's what I just said. Right. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's like, right. Don't, like, don't steal my shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's what I just said. So I can actually make those, uh, describe my point of view, make those business suggestions with like my function or the company, and more importantly, with my career. Mm-hmm. To be specific, I was able to say, I want to be a leader at this particular level within the organization. I want to be a leader within this specific amount of time. Mm -hmm. And 
The kicker was I was also able to start speaking about in terms of the total compensation. Hey, I also want to be paid X yeah. amount of money to do this particular job. Yep, there you go. <laughs> you know, again, okay. th- that like intentionality enabled me to, I think, become a little bit more true to myself, but that burden yeah, came just off lifted, me also. Just lifted. You're absolutely right. And just having that ability to do that, when I think about myself, Speaking up and speaking out and being able to release my voice, it built my confidence and it also built other people's confidence in me Mm -hmm. as a leader, right? It allowed me to, like you said, express more of my ideas and suggestions. They're even more likely to be implemented once I was freed. And speaking up gave me the space to be heard when dissenting. Yeah. You know, I could say, hey, I don't quite agree with that. And people would actually hear it and not dismiss it anymore. Right. right? And kind of, and it also just speaking up, it boosts my performance, boosts my leadership. So just having that ability to release all of that stuff and just let it go and woosah. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, at the, I mean, as simple as we're making it sound, we know this is difficult. It is difficult. But this is a key cog in like the game. Yes. You know, here, it right? Is. It's because you can stop playing the game right. and kind of be who you are. Right. right. So now we've tried to give our listeners a little bit of notice mm-hmm. over the past few weeks that, hey, we had some heat coming your way. Yes. Hey, tune in, get your popcorn together. Well, today we're asking you to brace yourself with our guest, with our sister, Teresa Robinson. She has a perspective that we all need to hear. So, Keith, why don't you do the honor of being able to introduce Teresa to our listeners? Absolutely. And I think people are going to love Teresa, trust me. But Teresa is an ADT certified master trainer, a professional speaker, and coach. And she's been doing diversity, inclusion, and equity work for over two decades and calls herself a, quote, disruptive inclusionists in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. She challenges her clients with uncomfortable conversations and self-reflection to bring about transformational growth and change. And Teresa was also featured last year in 2020 in the Forbes list of seven anti-racism educators your company needs now. Mm. So Ricky, why don't you kick us off with the first question with Teresa? Really quick. So I noticed, you know, on the back of your book, Mm-hmm. Did you quote like Audrey Lordy and uh, Malcolm X, right, regarding women not having a voice and being the most disrespected in America? What was your motivation? Now, I mean, we see obviously through real life experience, you know, right here. But what was like your motivation for writing this book and using your voice and the voices of other black women in the manner that you did? Oh, man. You know what? It hasn't so much been about black women not having a voice or about me not having a voice. It's more so that our voices have not been recognized. Our voices have not been included Mm. with the book. It it was really about me and other black women releasing our voices. And and I think that's probably the more accurate way to capture it. Um, And I know some people that I've talked to have been making comments to me about, wow, Teresa, it sounds like, you know, you talk about being on the other side of 50 and you, you know, it seems like you really found your voice. And I'm like, you know what, that's not really an accurate assessment of what this was about. This has really been about me 
releasing my voice without worrying about all of the restrictions and the boundaries that we've all been conditioned to comply with. And so not only is it centering my voice and the voices of these other Black women, but just the release of the voices themselves is what's being centered. And this book did not start out as a book. And I, I need to tell you both that. I mean, obviously it culminated in a book, but it didn't start out that way. It really started out morphing from a single racial incident that occurred for me on Delta Airlines December of 2019. And from there, it kind of took on a life of its own. And I say in the book, and I tell people that this book, and I'm calling it a book for lack of a better term, because this book really is a new thing. It defies any single category. You know, it's not really a memoir. It's not really a manifesto. It's not a self-help. It's not a bitch fest. It's really about me celebrating the release of my voice and putting it out there in a way where, you know what, this is me. And I even have a section that reiterates the this is me and then calling in the voices of so many phenomenal women. And I have to give a call out to three of them, three of my main sister queens who made this book into what I call this new thing. So we got Denise Branch. She is also one of the seven anti-racism educators featured by Forbes. She is absolutely phenomenal and she is fire personified. I even coined a new category for her. Usually when you read a book and you think about a book having a forward, she was way more than that. I called her my forward fire exclamation point. So she's <laughs> one of my main ladies that brought fire to the book. I also have to give another nod to my sister, Dr. Kimya Nuru Dennis. She's a very outspoken, activist for social justice and she wrote this incredible letter to black women and then my sister teddy williams she's a nurse she's an advocate she's also one of the descendants of the tulsa massacre i call her the poet laureate of the book so in this book you've got these three women and myself and then you've got 62 other women who come with their i'm speaking voices for everybody to hear. And not only are we ushering to everybody, you know what, be quiet, I'm speaking. It's even more than that. We took it to a whole nother level and, you know, basically sit down, shut up and listen to black women. Because I'm telling you now, people have heard that quote by Malcolm X over and over again. And I wonder if people really absorb it and understand what it means. As black women, we have always been relegated to the bottom. And it's such a weird relationship. I feel like this nation has always had to the black women. Black women are in a group where people love to hate us and hate to love us. So on the one hand, we get slammed constantly. But then on the other hand, in the same breath, you have the nation giving us Oh, it's the black women who saved us in this election. Oh, if it weren't for black women. Oh, if you just vote like black women do, we will always be in good shape. But in the same breath, we get dissed more than anybody. They don't pay us. They steal from us. So I'm like, damn, black women. 
So this book really was just about, hey, we're putting it out there and we don't give a damn how uncomfortable white people feel. And we also don't give a damn for the brothers who think, okay, ladies, just, you know, wait now, wait. Because, you know, we had a few brothers <laughs> who were getting a little touchy about some of the stuff mm-hmm. that's in there. So we had to go there in a couple of places. But I can't even pinpoint the exact moment that I said this needs to be a book because after that incident happened on Delta Airlines in 2019, I was thinking about doing just a racial microaggressions project. And at that point, it wasn't really a book. It was more so going to be a project. And I had thought about a couple of people that I wanted to pull in. And then because I do a lot of my own writing for myself, which is really raw and honest, and unapologetic, I was like, you know, I think I might be going to something here. And then the pandemic happened. Then the shutdown happened. Then you had Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna mm-hmm. Taylor. And, and then next thing you know, George Floyd. So everything just culminated. And I don't even know when exactly in 2020 that I said, this is a book. I'm putting it out there. And then from there, it really just started to take on a life of its own. It's almost like I wasn't just writing the book. The book was helping to write me because Mm -hmm. I think I needed to put it out there. And I know that's way more than you asked me. Obviously, I have a whole lot of passion still around this book. And I still know that there are a whole lot more people whose hands I want to receive this book because I really did write it with us in mind with an extreme nod to black women. But the book is really for us. Yeah. No. Hey, Yeah. real quick. I definitely want to hear that airlines story. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I'm going to ask you, you know, you know, you can't bring something up to me and, not, and let uh, me not uh, follow up on it. And I think I'm going to make sure that I, I put the Amazon book review that I was going to give you. I'm going to now, since I can't put it on Amazon, I'm going to put it on LinkedIn, you know, so everybody else. Oh. Can see, you yeah. know, too. Okay. So, so listen, so, so, and it wasn't until this interview when you, you just now thinking to do that. So, you know, we have to come up with our workarounds. Once Mm -hmm. Amazon told you that they are not posting your review, I expect you then to go on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. to go somewhere else and sing this book's praises to get it out there, to let people know this book exists and it's out there. (laughs) So let me let me read real quick. And I know uh, Keith is going to ask you something real fast. But let me let me read this. Like the the quote that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. This is like one of my. All-time favorites, and, and Keith and I reference this as we are getting our receipts in mm-hmm. terms of how women, black women, people of color, whatever, but at the end of the day, how they just get disrespected in every aspect of corporate America, right? But Malcolm X says, the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the black woman. The most neglected person in America is the black woman. I mean, damn. That that I mean, it's really nothing else. You can deny that if you want to, but again, we have thousands of stories, thousands upon thousands of stories and examples and receipts on how this 
continues to play out. Oh, yeah. The historical evidence as well as present day evidence continues to bear this out. No lies detected in what Malcolm X said. That quote is just as timely today as it was when he first uttered it. And it is my passion and my fight, along with other folks, to make sure that that quote becomes obsolete. Yeah. Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No lies detected. No lies detected. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No lies detected. You're not kidding. Yeah. I mean, the receipts don't lie. (laughs) And that's why we keep bringing them to the table. No doubt about Mm -hmm. it. I remember in your book, you talk about, in one part of it, you talk about the failure of diversity, equity, inclusion efforts within organizations. You call it performative wokeness. There was one section of the book that I particularly enjoyed that was that you called they put on quite a show and it was on page two. <laughs> it was put on page 208. If y'all, if y'all get that book and you say this, <laughs> when they know better, they still don't do better. However, they want to, <laughs> right? However, they pub- want to publicly claim better so that they appear better without doing the work. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> oh, yes. But you know what? You're seeing that now. You are seeing that now. Take a look at it. I just did a post this morning on LinkedIn about today being the last business day of Black History Month. And I'm putting Black History Month in quotation marks. I just did a post about that today because there's also been companies who have been doing that whole performative Black History Month celebration and recognition. And in my head, I'm thinking, you know what? We don't begin and end with February. We as a people do not begin and end with February. And the fact that there is a month quote unquote, dedicated to Black History Month tells you everything that you need to know because why in the world would we need a month set aside if we were not part of in the first place? So I call February appeasement month. Yes. It's appeasement month. Yes. (laughs) Oh yeah. Preach. And we we already know it's 28 days. Exactly. And so and and so what's interesting about us having our conversation today, and I think I've mentioned this to you all before, you know, I was thinking about having a book event. And one of the things I wanted to do with the book event was I wanted to talk about how black women are crashing white women's history month, because here we are the last business day of February, black history month. Now we're about to segue into women's history month. And traditionally, we know that white Women's History Month is about white women. And I'm calling it White Women's History Month on purpose deliberately, even though you know that's not what it's called. It's called Women's History Month. But just like that white brand of feminism, the month is the same. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens during the month of March in terms of what posts we'll see, what types of recognition that we'll see. But yeah, it's all performative. And to me, if you never have the action to back up the words that you put out there, it will always be just that, the performance. And there are so many companies that are guilty of that. The leadership on down. It's just we're getting to the point now where here we are in 2021 and we're still trying to get past the performative aspect of us 
feeling like we are a part of this country. Man, girl, woo! This fire over here. I'm gonna have to turn on some air up in there, open up a window or something like that, man. <laughs> so lately, we've been exploring like the concept of white fragility, like on our podcast. I mean, and we've heard a ton of people recommending, hey, get that book, White Fragility, and and it's almost like it's the antidote sometimes, right? But in your book, <laughs> okay, on page 158, you start out by asking, what the hell do white folks have to be fragile about? They own nearly every damn thing. They control nearly every damn thing. Again, it's pretty clear where you stand, but could you talk more about your take on white fragility and why it's problematic? Oh my gosh. See, this is another instance of how language actually harms fragility. I wish we could actually just banish that word altogether. And I think every time I use it, I'm using air quotes when I say it. And because you can't see me right now, I'm having to just do the air quotes for myself. But I am so opposed to the fragility paradigm. There is nothing about that paradigm that I'm in agreement with. So to your point, what you just quoted, what do they have? What does whiteness have to be fragile about? Yes, they control every damn thing. And based on all the backlash that I'm getting about this book, they're even trying to control the narrative because they're so used to being centered. Fragility is just another way for white folks to deflect and to not deal with their stuff. And I actually have a different way to express the fragility that they all like to refer to who even subscribe to that nonsense. I call it a whiteness preservation system, also known as a WPS. That's what repeat it truly that. Repeat that. Repeat that. Because <laughs> I know some folks didn't write that shit down. You got to go slower. Let me go back. There ain't no such thing as white fragility. What it is, is their internal whiteness preservation system. You know, you heard a GPS. This is the WPS. Yes. <laughs> yes. I know yes. we're joking about it. I know we're over here joking about it, but this this shit is serious. Like I mean, like yes. when you really think about it, this this is real. This is real. Oh, talk. No. oh no, this is real talk. This is real talk. Because guess what? It is so embedded in what how they think, what they think, what they say, what they do. It is so embedded. It is so conditioned from birth, pretty much, that they actually cannot even recognize it for what it is. It has become so normalized that every time that it is threatened, threatened, every time their WPS is threatened, they go to the place of fragility or they find a way to gaslight anybody else's experience that contradicts the superiority of whiteness. And I'm putting superiority also in quotation marks. Okay. Again, you can't see me, but I'm doing some serious air quoting up here <laughs> for certain words that I use, but these words are meant to echo the language that they like to use because in their minds, it truly is normal that whiteness is superior over all others. And I'm putting others in quotation marks. I'm telling you it's deep brothers. No, uh, it, it, it is. It totally I mean, is. And, and I think, 
the one area where I, I I'm just so appreciative is you have the courage to talk about this stuff. You have the courage to put this down and how dare you have that courage because you do. And we're going to block you. And see, they don't want you to talk about this. They don't want to bring this to your attention. I actually was looking at some clips from, you know, Andrew Day is actually in the movie that's coming out. And I think it may have debuted today, but up until today, they have been showing clips of Andrew Day, who's playing Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. You all heard about that, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. One of the clips. One of the clips that they kept showing, which to me was so powerful, and it really sums up what it is about this book that gets white people so enraged. You'll notice in one of the scenes when the guy asked Billie Holiday, he was like, so what is it about you, Billie Holiday? Why are folks just so angry and upset with you about this song? And you know, the song that they're referencing is the song that she wrote and sang called Strange Fruit. And Strange Fruit is a euphemism for all of the black bodies being lynched and hanging from the trees. And so she says to him, and she does it in such a deadpan way. I know she's going to get so many awards in this movie because she's phenomenal in it. She looks at him and she says, they don't like this song. They don't like me singing this song because it reminds them that they're killing us. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, and it just gives me goosebumps even to say it. But when you hear her say it in the in the clip of the film, you get goosebumps because it's such a deadpan, honest, direct truth around what was it about that song that upset white people so much because they don't want to be reminded of their inhumanity to other humans. They don't want to be reminded of their brutality. They don't want to be reminded of their criming, their racism. They don't want to be reminded that they of any demographic in the world has just, they have done the most atrocious things of any other demographic group. They don't want to be reminded of that. They want to sugarcoat history. They want to control the narrative. They want to romanticize their heroes while at the same time demonizing everybody else. So that line to me just epitomizes this so-called fragility that they have. They become enraged when they are reminded. So that's why I like to call it their whiteness preservation system. They want to make sure that it is always set for what I call the original factory settings, (laughs) the default (laughs) settings. (laughs) And when we try to move them past that, the system rebels and it will do anything to revert back to its original factory settings. Man, look, I'm going to I'm have to drink on that. This right here, I mean, this is just deep. This is one of those episodes where I believe people are going to have to listen to it two or three times. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You, you know how it is? Like, you remember how it was back in the day when you'd be listening to some music and like we have to go and re- you have to go ahead and press rewind on your on your tape deck <laughs> and you have to try to get right in the right spot because you might miss oh, yeah. the shit. Like this is that. You're gonna have to keep on going backwards <laughs> to kind of hear 
Yeah, my sister Teresa's over here dropping fire right now. Oh, yeah. This is, she's been loud. And let me just tell you something, too. A lot of people think that it's something out there. And when I work with white folks who want to deflect and say that it's those other white people, I'm not like that. You know what? That's the most dangerous thing that they can say, because it is always the silence of the good white folks or even the deflection of the good white folks. Because I'm just going to tell you, the corporate environment is nothing but present day plantation when you look at the dynamics of how things work. And I'm just going to break it down. I used to be in corporate for many, many years before I left. But before I left, I was doing a whole lot of job hopping because you know what? I got tired of the racist bullshit. But finally, when I left corporate for good, that's when I felt like, okay, yeah, this. I'm meant to not be in that environment. And I'm not knocking anybody who can make that environment work for them. But again, like I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I'm too direct. I don't do well with nonsense. I don't play the game. I don't play games with white people in corporate. And I am just too direct for me to have been successful in that space. And I don't buy into the getting a seat at the table. And I'm putting the word getting in quotation marks because for me, I look at it as, you know what, begging for a seat at the table. And we got all of our focus and attention on the damn seat. The seat ain't the damn problem. It's that damn table. And I always tell people, it's the table. That's what's wrong. So my whole position is, when it comes to that table, I'm like, we need to burn that bitch to the ground. <laughs> we need to burn that thing down. Exactly. We need Ooh. to burn that down. Because I've been building a whole lot of tables since I've left corporate. I build my own tables. And I pivot. I reinvent myself. But the one thing that I cannot do, I cannot deal with the whiteness nonsense on a day-to-day basis. I don't have the personality for it. My facial expressions actually would give me away each time. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't play poker either, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My facial expressions would give me away every single time. You People were laughing about those looks that Kamala Harris, that she was giving Pence. I was like, whoa, she ain't got nothing on them looks that I'm (laughs) giving. I felt like she was restraining too. She was restraining a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Mm. For sure. Yeah. So when it comes to that whole fragility stuff, Brother Kings, I have zero support for it. Zero support for that. Man, we told you that Teresa was the real deal like Evander Holyfield. She has some serious gems and we'll share some secrets later in the episode. And as I listen to Teresa, the impact is as clear as the day. The system is designed for you to stay in your place regarding you muting your voice if you have something to say, if that makes others feel uncomfortable. But that ain't what Teresa's all about. <laughs> no, you, you're not going to keep her quiet. No. You know, you're not going to keep her quiet about what she has to say, right? <laughs> I mean, it was liberating, right? Absolutely. But the moral to the story to me, Keith, is... I believe like labels are going to be placed on you, whether they're accurate or not. Make makes no sense. Right. But how you um, break those stereotypes really depends on you challenging the status quo, 
with finding and releasing your voice and refusing to stay in that box. Yeah, absolutely. And you've heard from Teresa and what she had to say. Ricky just pointed out these labels and how they can impact you. But we want to bring you those receipts also <laughs> like we normally do. And so today we will share a number of stats on the impact of not speaking up or being intentional with your voice at work. So, Ricky, why don't you kick it off? Yeah. So, look, man, receipt number one in a research study by the authors of the bestseller Crucial Conversations, it showed that 72 percent of respondents reported instances when they or others failed to speak up effectively when a peer did not pull their weight. Like, so meaning you're not doing your job and I ain't going to say nothing about it. I'm just going to let, let it, it let it slide. I'm just going to let it ride, right? 68% failed to report disrespectful behavior and 57% let peers slide when they skirted important workplace processes. Yeah. So look. Basically, people over here messing up and ain't nobody saying nothing. Ain't nobody saying (laughs) nothing. Just holding their tongue. Holding their tongue. With with certain folks, okay? Because we do know now, like, let it be me or you that ain't doing our job. Yeah, boy, that's a different story. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different story. And that same study also points out that 50% of us waste seven or more days avoiding crucial conversations. Mm. And when I think about that from a finance perspective, they estimate that it cost organizations an average of $7,500 per conversation lost in time and resources. Now, how <laughs> many of these conversations are going on on a daily basis? Yeah. That's going to be a lot of money to the bottom line. <laughs> and moreover, one in three respondents say their culture does not promote or support holding crucial conversations. And only 1% of people reported feeling extremely confident in voicing their concerns at crucial moments. So meaning basically why say anything ain't going to happen anyways. Right. That's right. (laughs) You know, this is crazy, man. So check this out. Receipt number three. So look, Keith and I have provided for you receipt after receipt after receipt on how women are promoted at a slower pace than men how they are reaching the C-suite slower than men, and more importantly, how they're paid statistically lower than men, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? But Mm -hmm. if you've had a chance to listen to some of our previous podcast episodes or even read some of our blogs, there's one thing that you can always know about Ricky and Keith, right? We're going to keep it real with you, right? So in in terms of trying to be able to keep it 100 with you, what I will say is we are not going to get on those career changing projects, be on leadership teams, or get market rate money unless you ask for it. Yep. You got to open that mouth. <laughs> Close mouths, what? <laughs> Don't get fed. <laughs> exactly. A recent study in Women in the Workplace by Lean In and McKinsey, it showed that women who ask are 54% more likely to get a raise. There you go. I mean, and look, we can actually tell you that it's about 15, 20 secret patrons, you know, who actually took advantage of some of that coaching that we talked about, Mm -hmm. who actually got their money. They got their bread. They they asked. They got their bread. They asked. That's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And so now it's that pen and paper time, my friends, or hit the rewind button time. (laughs) So go grab that pen and paper because we got a couple secrets here. Teresa's about to drop a couple gems on you and you don't want to miss it. So look, Teresa, we we just got a couple more questions for you. We have this part of our podcast that we call Secrets where we 
you've been dropping gems on fire the whole time, but we wanted to kind of focus, <laughs> focus a little bit on a couple particular areas. My question would be, you just talked a lot about white folks and, and, and the WPS, if you will. What advice would you have for them in terms of them being better allies or advocates or just human beings? You know what? I'm glad that you asked that question because the really basic thing to do is what they find hard to do. First of all, be quiet. Stop talking. Listen. Sit your ass down and listen and learn. Listen and learn. That is the most important thing that they can do. I'm serious. Mm -hmm. And all of this pressure being put on black and brown folks right now to educate them about racism, the ones who invented it, they also need to do the work, take the initiative and learn and unlearn. Sure, they can ask questions. They're going to make mistakes. We all do when we're learning. But the first thing they've got to do is just sit down, be quiet and listen. And I think another reason why this book needed to come out is because for so long, our stories have been denied. People have dismissed our stories and our experiences. You still got white people who are saying that racism doesn't even exist. Yes. So it's like, you know what? You need to stop. Just be still. Sit down and listen. Just listen. Because when you start listening, it helps you to start the process of decentering yourself. And white people are so accustomed to centering themselves in every damn thing. They got to learn how to do that. They got to decenter themselves. And you do that first by learning to listen. So that's the first thing that I'm going to tell them to do. That's the main thing right there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My question for you, my last question for you. So this is a little bit different, right? Now at Secrets, we do personal coaching we give in our podcast, we give people skills to be able to advocate for themselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, one thing that we're very proud of is mm -hmm. we've been able to help people, for lack of better terms, get their bread, right? Like we know about the inequities in pay. We right. know about people not being able to advocate for themselves or to be able to utilize their voice. So specifically for you, like what would you say to our black women seeking to find their voice and to advocate for themselves. Okay. First thing I would say is get to know you. Find out what your skills, talents, and abilities are. Hone in on what your superpowers are and then figure out how to leverage it. For me, directness is one of my superpowers. That's one of my superpowers. Like I said, I can be direct with you without pissing you off. We may even laugh for a bit, but you still heard what I said. Right. Yeah, yep, that's right. <laughs> I heard that black mama in your voice right there. Exactly. I tell you, you still, yeah, you still heard what I said. Though, right. So find out what your superpower is and let your personality and superpower work for you. 
You got to figure out what that looks like, sounds like, feels like for you. So get to know you. And I mentioned this in the book. For so long, Black women have been conditioned to be, quote unquote, white professional and to be what people expect us to be. And because we've done that for so long, because we've had to, we've kind of lost touch with a lot of that piece of ourselves that make us our unique self. So get back in touch with who that is, find out what your superpower is, leverage it, and also be very clear on what your deal breakers are. And when you find out what your deal breakers are, reach a place where you say there is not going to be compromised. When I get my deal breakers in place and know what my boundaries and my limits are, don't compromise on those because that continues to be your strength. Because the one thing I don't want people to wake up with is regrets. I don't want people to look back and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Be true to you. Be true to you. I want to be the type of person that when my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren ask me, mommy, what did you do or what did you say? I want to be able to tell them what I did, what I said, and I want to be proud. I want that to be a part of their heritage. I want that to be a part of their legacy. So find out what those deal breakers are and hold true. You know what? There are going to be some days when you're going to fall down, slip up. There are going to be some days when you're going to cry sometimes. But you know what? The one thing about crying and falling down or getting knocked down is do you stay down or do you get back up? Do you wipe away those tears? Do you learn from it? Do you keep going? I refuse to be crushed. And I think that's another thing that makes me a force to be reckoned with when it comes to this book, because I will tell you this. I have folks to this day who look at me in amazement and they wonder, you post the way you do on LinkedIn and you wrote this book and you still get clients? You damn skippy, I do. You know what? Yes, yes. Clients know I do not compromise and I say what I say and I mean what I mean and they know what I'm about. So when they come to me and want to work with me, they already know what they're getting. So I don't have to pretend and pivot. Now, you know, in my training sessions, I may not be dropping a bunch of F-bombs and doing all that stuff. But for the most part, they know they are going to get truth. They're going to get honesty. They're going to get direct. And I am not going to be there to make you feel good about your complicity or your silence. So for black women, yes, find out who you are. What's your superpower? Don't compromise. Find out what your deal breakers are. And once you do that kind of stuff, whew, you become a force to be reckoned with. Man, I, man, I'm over here. I'm over here feeling it. Well, I'm telling you, I man, I might go out and try to do something, something. <laughs> <laughs> go chop some wood, Ricky. Go chop some wood. Yes, yes. yes. Teresa, my sister Queen, we are just so, so privileged. We're humbled just to be able to 
have this discussion, you know, with you. I mean, this is like we all, if it wasn't for the pandemic, we'd all be sitting down drinking and having fun together. You know what I mean? But Okay, this, so when the pandemic is over, you know we have to get together with uh, the Kings. Absolutely. We need to have that drink. There you go. Yeah. We're going to yeah. come to Houston or go meet somewhere. We go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, make it happen. But no, what I wanted to say though is thank you so much for just taking time out of your schedule to be able to connect with us and, and break bread. I know that some of these gems that you dropped will help everybody out, whether it like no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what gender you are, this stuff is golden right here and look we're going to be following you we're going to be doing what we can to be able to kind of help the movement help the mission help the book help you that's exactly what we're going to do and you think i'm playing i'm about to go on linkedin and post my amazon review that that got rejected (laughs) i'm going to do that right now and the picture of the book that i took you know right next review so i'm going to do all of that and we're going to see how much traction you know we get from that because at the end of the day you, you can try to suppress the message, but you can't stop the movement. You know, you so sure enough can. Thank you so much for being on Secrets. We're going to do what we can to kind of help you out. Absolutely. And thank you, Brother Kings, for doing all that you do, too. And you know I'm going to leave you with this last thing, Ricky. And this one is just for you because of what you just said about LinkedIn. So I'm about to take a page, hopefully, out of all the Black Mama pages out there. It's like, listen now, don't you tell me you're going to go do something and not do it. (laughs) 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 When we first started talking, I remember you was like, Ricky, I'm going to need you to be quiet for a minute and listen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. And you all are my brothers. I mean that. You all are my brother kings. I've been calling you all that since we bonded from a little while ago. That's right. From the beginning. From the beginning. That's right. Yes. And again, we're going to tell everybody, go get this book, Black Exhaustions, Cairns, and Other Threats to Black Lives and Well-Being. It is the truth, Teresa. It is the truth. Literally, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. Secret listeners, look, we could keep on talking for days, but you know, like my cup is getting a little low over here. Keith didn't even have his cup today. I don't know what's wrong with that, brother. But anyway. I I got my COVID shot. I'm, You know, I got my COVID (laughs) shot. That's what it (laughs) is. appreciative we want y'all to keep listening please 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 go on and like you know us on our apple podcast and just tell your friends about it right some of the folks that think they don't need the help or don't want to listen be the main ones that need it so at the end of the day we are so appreciative of you all continuing to listen to us we thank our guest uh, Teresa robinson on we love you all stay tuned peace Thank you all for listening today. Hopefully you gained a secret or two that can be applied as your journey continues. If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, and donate via Patreon. Check us out at www.secrets.com to get more information about our secret services. Don't forget to tune in next time for more Hot Fire. Until then, cheers! Cheers!